Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I have a returning guest. Um, I have the lovely Grant Nicholas of Feeder. And I uh, got to chat to Grant at the beginning of the lockdown uh, to talk records and uh and, and he's back on and this time we can talk gigs so you've you've probably heard um whenever guests come back on we generally like to talk um a kind of a reworking of the 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 the, the song choice questions and we, we we base it all around gigs you know first gigs first festivals dream lineups and stuff like that so um and it's a wonderful chat this one with Grant. He's, he's he's such a nice guy, um and yeah we talk obviously about the new feeder record that's coming soon the new feeder tour. Uh, and yeah, and we get to we get to talk to Grant about what it's like being on tour with the Rolling Stones and you too. And and there's some crazy little stories that are just yeah remarkable. And I don't think many people get to kind of have their moments uh, in in their lives to be in rooms with such you know legends of uh, of the music industry and uh, so yeah we touch on on that and so much other stuff it's, it's it's a lovely natter and uh and it's coming your way in just a sec not before i've said uh a big thank you to scroobius pip everybody at the distraction pieces network uh thanks to jay for putting this together um thanks to 76 for producing uh this podcast and biggest thanks obviously go to you lot uh for always supporting this podcast uh always giving it a, a little like or a share uh you know dropping me little messages on the socials it's it, it really makes this sort of thing worth doing um if it's your first time listening then go check out um once you finish listening to this go check out grant's first episode uh on the podcast um and yeah go get stuck into the, the back catalog um whether you want to hear me talking to uh, the Foo Fighters, uh, Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, um, Idols, uh, Sleaford Mods, Suede, oh gosh, James Acaster, Ed Gamble, Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, Joe Hartley, Thomas Turgus, Butch Vig. Um, yeah, the, the, the list is endless. Uh, so go and have a rummage. There's over 340 episodes for you to go and uh, have a little look at and a listen to. So uh, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can just go to your one-stop shop and find out about the Patreon. And uh, and that's all at offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Let's get on with the episode. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast live gig special with Grant Nicholas. Sorry, I've interrupted the podcast, but with good reason. Hotel Chocolat are our sponsors. You know that now because I tell you about it every episode. But they've been super kind now. And you may have heard me talking about the products from the Cacao Bar. And there's gins, cream liqueurs, all sorts of wonderful chocolatey goodies. Um, And what they've done is they've set a page up on the website that you can go to. And all you've got to do is just for you off the beaten track listeners... Go over there, answer a question, and you could win the full range delivered to your front door. I mean, that's kind of them. All you have to do is go to this place, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. That's OTBT as in off the beaten track podcast. Hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. Go get your grubby little mitts on some deliciously chocolatey drinks, courtesy of our sponsors, Hotel Chocolat. I'll get back to the podcast. 
this Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, right, we are recording. Uh, Grant, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Sorry, you were literally about to have a gob full of coffee then, weren't you? <laughs> a cup of tea, yeah. Actually, I've had three... I've had about three coffees this morning, so I thought if I have any more, I'd be talking about it so quickly. <laughs> well, um, this is your second time uh, on Off the Beaten Track. The first time um, was, I guess, not uh, probably right at the height of the first lockdown, and uh, and, and we spoke yeah. about that. But I don't want to sort of dwell too much on 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 the kind of lockdown. But I want to ask, okay, since everything has kind of reopened let's not prop look too much into what's happening now let's try and stay positive but if looking at when all the restrictions dropped tell me what it was like for feeder what happened well i mean it was great i mean obviously we've had you know i mean same as most bands we've had tours cancelled um you know which is you know which is which we're really upset about but we we had uh, obviously a whole bunch of festivals that were like are they going to be on are they going to be off but we ended up doing about I think seven festivals. So that was great just to be back on stage again. I mean, like the first one we did was called Bug Jam. And uh, I have to admit, I was pretty nervous because, you know, we, you know, well, we haven't played, you know, for so long. But yeah. as soon as you walked down to the stage, it was fine. But it was, uh, it was just sort of like great to be back. It was almost like a little bit surreal actually being on stage again. Um, and obviously, you know, doing, doing like a festival was quite nerve wracking at the best of times. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, we could have maybe eased ourselves back in with a smaller gig first, sure. but it, but it but it was great to get back out there and just to be playing again, you know. And and it's amazing how fast it comes back to you, you know. Yeah, yeah. and it must be so, you know. Whatever you're putting out there, the crowd must be giving it back just as much because it's like they've been starved of it as much as you've been starved of performing. Do you know what I mean? It's just like just a perfect combination. Yeah, definitely. I think people have really missed music. And, and I think people, I mean, myself, you know, you realise, you know, during the lockdown, how important actually music is, just for your mental health and well-being. You know, it's, a, it's a very powerful thing, music. And, that you know, the world's a different place, you know, when it's not happening. I think people maybe have appreciated, you know, what bands do a bit more and just like the whole power of music. Because it is, a, it is a really good, I mean, I love music. And that's why I do, you know, that's why I want to be in a band. And, you know, you know, to write music is, is something that I love doing. But it's, it's such an important thing. And I think it, it's, um, and I think sort of during the whole, you know, past two years, I think, I think people have probably like rediscovered a lot of bands and stuff they haven't probably listened to for a while, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Well, let's go back because I'm going to talk yeah. about um, live shows uh, on this episode. So I want to ask you first, Grant, the, the first live show that you remember going to. Well, uh, apart from the sixth form band at school, um, they were called No Parking, I think. <laughs> um, my first, I know, it's a great name. I always remember that name. Um, right. You know, actually, yeah, actually, they were a big influence on me because, you know, as soon as I saw that band, it was like, wow, this is what I want to do. But the first, but I suppose the first, like, proper band I saw was, I think it was Ozzy Osbourne. I, I think I said Black Sabbath once, but I'm pretty sure that it was Ozzy Osbourne. And I think it was either on the Diary of a Madman tour or the Blizzard of Oz tour. It was, it was, I can't remember where she was. Um, and we had this math teacher at school who was a really cool guy. And he used to organize taking, he, he, he looked like the least like rock guy you could ever imagine, you know, um, he was, you know, sort of super conservative and just looked like a typical kind of math teacher or whatever. And he, um, of that era, not putting down math teachers yeah. and, the, and he, he was really to heavy rock. So he used to, he used to organize like taking, like kids from the school to go and see bands play at the Colston Hall in Bristol. So a and school it was trip a, involved going yeah. to see Ozzy Osbourne. It was a kind of a, yeah, <laughs> so you could some pay money go and see him. It was brilliant. I mean, you just go there, just be your head made for the whole time. Come out with a very sore neck, and you know, come but you know, come back home with our kind of often a bootleg T-shirt because we were so excited like going into the venue. We didn't realise that the proper T-shirts were inside, so <laughs> there was bootleggers everywhere in those days. So we buy some dodgy, you know, knockoff you know, Black Sabbath T-shirt, you know, kind of whoever was playing. But yeah, it was definitely Ozzy Osbourne and it was, a, it was an absolutely blinding gig. I remember it really well. It had a massive impact on me. And I must have been about probably 11 or something. Yeah. And and I, maybe 11 or 12. And I remember um, for those like guitar player guys out there who, who might be listening in, he had, he had this guitarist called Randy Rhodes. He was a really amazing guitar player. He was like sort of destined to be 
not like an Eddie Van Halen, but he was kind of, he was really respected in yeah. that world, you know, amazing guitar player. So I was, I was very, very lucky to see him because he, I think he died a few weeks later in a plane crash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that, that was the first, first, first big band I saw. And I, you know, pretty cool one, I think, to see, because I mean, Black Sabbath had been a massive influence on me as well. So. And when you say like, it, you know, it, it really impacted on you, like what impacted as in like, I want a bit of this. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I decided like very sort of young uh, that I really wanted to be in a band. I, I didn't really dream of being a singer. I wanted to play guitar and I wanted to write songs. And even from about the age of ten, I was, I was sort of like dreaming about that. And then when I went to see like a proper concert, I just heard like the drums like through the PA and the power of it. It just, it just absolutely blew me away. And in those days, there was no barriers. So you were right, you know, you yeah. literally just sort of like chin on the stage. You know what I mean? You could put your drink on the stage. It was so. <laughs> It was so much more relaxed, so so you could really get up close you now, and um, just to watch like Randy Rose and even Ozzy. I mean, he 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 was just like such a great performer. There was, you just couldn't take your eyes off him. He was just insane, you know, in a really good way. Um, he had a fantastic band. It was just yeah, it just had a massive impact on me. Just like, the power of it, just the excitement of it all, and it kind of stuck with me really. And I was completely hooked after that. And and Ozzy's voice is phenomenal, isn't it? It is because he's, you know, Aussie, so and I'm like, you know, I hope, that I, yeah, I mean, I hope you wouldn't mind me saying that. It. It's not about, and I think I mentioned this in an interview actually a couple of weeks ago. It's not about being the best singer in the world. It's about having like an identity and a style. And Aussie's got a really, you just know his voice instantly, and he, he's quite an unusual singer. He's, he's not a typical rock singer, yeah. but as soon as you hear him, you know it's him, don't you? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. He has that kind of, he has that kind of harmonizer sound he uses on his voice, which has made it quite distinctive. But just, just the way he sings and the tone of his voice, you know, he may not be like technically the best singer out there, but he's got a real, you know, style. And I think to me, that's more important. Definitely, and and uh, and I think I found out more about Sabbath through in the early nineties, like becoming obsessed with like Faith No More. And thinking, yeah. people are like, oh, if you like Patton's voice, you should check out Sabbath. Mm. And I was like, oh, mm. really? And like, I can tell the kind of, there's very similar, like when, when Patton wows, you can see the sort of, we'll hear the similarities between what he does and what Ozzy does. And I think, you know, that obviously yeah. has a huge influence on that band anyway. I mean, I, I mean, Sabbath are a massive influence on me and, you know, big influence on Feeder because obviously, you know, it's affected my writing. I mean, the first sort of guitar player that I was really really um, kind of into so it was Tony Iommi you know from Black yeah. Sabbath because he just had it because he had a great style as well you know very much about riffs he, I mean, he did do lead work as well but he was I think he's more known for his riffs Yeah, great riffs as well and that was a massive influence on me like sort of learning to play guitar like trying to work out like Paranoid and NIB and Warpigs and you know you can still hear it now in Fever songs I mean um, especially on our new album I mean I love I love that sound and just what they did. And, uh, and they've been, you know, I wouldn't, I'm your hands, hands up, you know, I, they have been a big influence on us and, and me particularly as a writer and a guitar player. Wonderful. Well, let's talk about uh, you as a, as, as a, as a writer, frontman, guitarist. Yeah. What was the first live <laughs> yeah. show you performed at? And tell me you oh had a God. name up there with no parking. I, oh, mate, mate, it was, it was all... Well, listen, I, I, I'm going to give you two quick ones because I, 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 I'm going to bore everyone listening. But my first... I mean, this was so early on. It, I mean, you could barely call it a band. I couldn't even play chords. I was literally... Didn't know how to tune a guitar. I just yeah. used to sort of, you know... And it, and it was like single strings. I actually remember the song in my head. All right, it was, it was absolutely dreadful. But anyway, the band consisted of... It was... Almost a bit of a White Stripes vibe. So it's basically me on guitar. There was there was no singer in the band, and there, and there was a drummer uh, that had about the, 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 the smallest drum kit I've ever seen in my life. It was just a snare drum and this little tiny bass drum. And some, but it, you know, it was almost like toy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was almost a toy kit. And then there was this guy. Um, I think his name was Justin Meek or something, if I remember right. And he used to play like a couple of chords on the piano. It was absolutely dreadful. But the band was called the Flames. <laughs> Uh, I still remember it. And I remember doing this sort of trying to draw a really cool logo. But that was, I mean, that was way before I started to really learn how to play guitar like properly and, you know, and learn how to tune a guitar. But my first, I suppose, semi-decent band, I must have been maybe 11, 12, maybe a bit older, actually. And uh, it was called Sweet Leaf after Black Sabbath song. Right. So that's how much like that's something you know you must have been an influence on me yeah. back then, 
Um, and it was a, uh, actually we weren't too bad. We used to cover, we used to cover, we used to play Paranoid. We used to play, uh, um, we used to play, um, songs by Police, uh, do a Space Oddity, you know, a David Bowie. We used to hope to California. <laughs> I mean, not like, really badly, but um, that was. Were you singing the then, really on st- huh? I mean, you were singing. I then. sung a little, not really. There was a singer. Um, well, we had a couple of different. There, there was a few different school bands, but um, but yeah, no, no. I used to be. I was a little bit too shy. To, I think I sung one song that I that I'd written. It was absolutely dreadful. I, I even remember what it was called. Go on, check this out for a title. <laughs> I think it was called Spotlight. <laughs> Why flames? <laughs> I mean, I was young. I was very young. No, Spotlight by uh, Sweet Leaf, that was. Oh, right, Sweet um, Leaf, of course. Yeah. And, and then we were... And then Sweet... Sorry, my cat cat thing's going off in the background. You can hear... It's like a cat time of thing. So you can hear my wife's voice on here in a minute. Can you hear... <laughs> there you go. It's not It's not me doing mad voices. Um, and then I think my later band after that was called Albatross, after the uh, Fleetwood Mac song. Yeah. But anyway... Um, yeah, that um, I mean, Sweet Leaf was the first kind of semi-decent band, but my very first encounter being kind of on stage, I suppose, you know, doing sort of music in some capacity was with the Flames. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not that bad a name. You think about it? It sounds like quite nice, almost like a 1950s kind of band name, doesn't it? It sounds almost like a rockabilly band or a sort of rock and roll band. It's a vast improvement on no parking. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no parking. That... <laughs> anyway, there's right. nothing better than than just having a little look about uh, on the posters outside working men's clubs at the names of bands. There's some absolute gems there. My favourite yeah. of all time, Loose Change. Like that, that takes some beating. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> oh, just make you laugh, doesn't it? Um, Grant, tell me about the first festival you remember going to. Do you know, I think the first, I mean, I was quite, I mean, I, I probably went to a few local ones. I've grown up in Wales, but they were more like, I remember there was one called Mayday Spectacular. <laughs> it's just like local bands and stuff. I probably played a few of those. But the first kind of proper festival I remember going to was actually Reading Festival. I mean, I'm going back, it must have been late 80s, I would say. Um, actually, no, I tell a lie. I did go to, a, so that that was that was one of the first, and it was uh, and the lineup. All all I remember was it was and I can't remember if it was her or somebody, but they got a lot of bottles thrown at them. <laughs> I do remember that like very clearly. It was absolutely brutal. Can't remember who who else was on the lineup, but so I did actually go yeah, before that. I went to Nebworth to go and see. I think it might have been was it Deep Purple. Um, I think that uh, I think Rob Plant might have been there with his uh, solo band. Can't remember who else was there. And it's just lots of eighties metal bands and rock bands. I think that was the first time I went to a proper concert, and it poured down with rain. And I think we left before the headline act. It was it was it was that miserable, like the weather. When so I give you two, I give you two answers. There, that's, fine. that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. That's I mean, all right. I was going to ask you about, you know, when, when, when you started putting sort of feeder together, you know, uh, who were the bands at the time that were, were... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. 
What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. We're inspirational to you, but I, I, I presume, obviously, <clears throat> Sabbath's uh, in there. Yeah, yeah, the police... Like, you know, we always saw, I, mean, I remember when I met John, we had, we had a thing, you know, we had a real connection with, uh, you know, we both sort of three piece bands and, uh, you know, he was a, he was a master steward um, to the police. <clears throat> you know, I've still got some, some of my original police singles. Um, Can't Stand Losing You. Um, I think you actually was one of the world. But, uh, yeah, I was always sort of, something about three piece bands I love. So obviously the police were a big influence. I mean, early jam a little bit, but I was probably slightly more on the rock side. So it was, you know, Black Sabbath, you know, Led Zeppelin, um, a lot of kind of very kind of mellow stuff as well, like, uh, you know, Fleetwood Mac, um, Son of Garfunkel, Pink Floyd, um, quite a few punk bands as well, you know, Sex Pistols, obviously, bands like Sham 69, and, you know, Buzzcocks. Um, I was into those kind of bands as well. So, yeah, it was a pretty eclectic, uh, really. It was sort of a combination of what I discovered myself, what my older brother introduced to me, and just kind of what my mates were listening to, sort of growing up in a in a small town in South Wales. But um, also, you know, obviously ACDC, you know, all that all, all that kind of stuff. Really, sort of like, you know, classic rock, punk rock, seventies rock, acoustic stuff. Um, Tom Petty, uh, Neil Young, all that kind of stuff. Really, but every single artist that you've just listed there, Grant, uh, you know, whether yeah. they're they're you know they're cranked to 11 playing you know full-on sort of you know 70s rock you know or yeah. down to something as, as as gentle as simon and garfunkel uh mm. the police whatever all of them bands that you mentioned as you were sort of rattling them off i was thinking they've all got serious pop sensibilities all of them mm. have got songs with really hooky verses massive choruses and like do you think that's kind of found its way you know, because, you know, there's there's great pop hooks in so much of Feeder stuff. Like, do you think it's sort of found its way through that them kind of sort of the way that these songs were structured to, you know, to to have that reaction from the public, to, you know, to have them hooks and them, them soaring choruses? Yeah, I think so, definitely. I mean, I I think it's just that kind of mix, you know, that all that music that I listen to. I remember mean, having a friend um, called Brian Sperber that ended up working on a lot of uh, feeder tracks and, you know, we're still you know, good friends now. We're in bands together and he, he introduced me to, you know, to lots of American music as well. And that was quite, you know, anything from AOR, being a band like Boston, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, all these bands have got like great melodies, you know. I mean, the 80s gets a bit of a bad rap for rock because there was some really bad stuff around. But there was some good songwriting around and there was some good, you know, bands in those days could really play as well, you know. 80s bands, you know, they were good players. And, uh, and there was some, you know, it was when it was more about the big production and layers and backing vocals and harmonies. And I kind of liked some of that, but I, but I liked, I liked a bit of that. But I think it was more for what you said, you know, feeder are known for our melodies, but we also can be like pretty heavy at times. I mean, I, I remember when we first started out, they said, you know, how do you describe feeder? And I said, well, we're a heavy metal pop band. I know that sounds like a weird label, but, but it's kind of what, what we are because the first music I discovered when I was like super young, you know, whenever, you know, my parents were playing or my dad was playing in his car was, stuff like ABBA, you know, pop music. Mm. You know, ABBA were a great pop band. So it's all gone in there. And I think it's kind of made me what I am as a songwriter. And it's, it's you know, probably been a big part of why Feeder sound like, you know, like the sound. And even even meeting Taka for the first time when we first hooked up in Camden, like many years ago, he grew up obviously in Japan. He's got an old brother that's about the same difference. So it's, you know, we're quite similar. We both got older brothers that are about three years older than us. And I was amazed, actually, how many bands we that we had sort of, you know, we both listened to as, you know, as we were growing up. It just shows how universal music is, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So with the early feeder gigs, Grant, like, yeah. you know, we've all been in sort of bands <coughs> that have, you know, have, have tried to crack it and not quite got there and we've played all the kind of 
you know, I guess what what people refer to as a toilet circuit and, you know, every back room in Camden. What was the first gig you played where you thought, oh, hang on, this is like a proper gig. This is like what I thought gigs were going to be. Do you know oh, what I mean one, with that really. question? Yeah, I mean... I think for me, I mean, obviously there was a real scene that happened when we, you know, we sort of started off playing, you know, some tiny places. But I think even before I attacked joined, when we, when we were starting off, we played, I remember we played at the Marquee Club. And for me, just the name Marquee yeah. was just like, we've arrived. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was very early idea of feeding. We were called Real at the time. It was a terrible name. But we were, well, it was there. You could see, where, you know, we were pretty raw, but we hadn't quite found our sound. And... But you could see, you know, we had an idea and, that, and you could see there was something like bubbling away. Yeah. And I think just the first time we did that, it just felt like a proper gig. I, I just don't know if it was just a sort of legendary name of the marquee, yeah. you know. Um, and then obviously, you know, we went on to do all the, all the Camden haunts, you know, like the, um, you know, the Water Rats and you know, Dublin Castle, you know, places like the Monarch, all, all, all those yeah. places that everyone knows. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it was just the name, just that kind of marquee, just... I mean, you know, it wasn't the original marquee. No, I think, no. it moved to um, uh, Charing Cross Road, That's didn't right. it? On yeah. the, um, yeah, it wasn't a bad venue actually. And anyway, that was—I do remember that being a bit of a kind of oh wow, you know, we're playing the marquee. <laughs> oh, I, I, do you know what? I, I I think I played that in about 1993. Um, oh, did it? And I got sent like oh. uh, like the, the uh, like. Uh, an access all areas like band like lanyard thing and i remember just thinking oh i've made it like I've, and, it, <laughs> yeah. had the, and it had the like the marquee in that kind of you know the font that the marquee's in i remember thinking oh and then i think also when i got a load of paper tickets through which was fundamentally pay to play at the time but i remember just thinking yeah i'm playing the rock garden this is amazing like i'm playing the rock garden and it was so underwhelming actually getting there and playing it and it was like well, you ain't sold under tickets mate you owe us like i was thinking oh, oh I know. i dreamt it <laughs> i did it I did the rock garden, I think, actually once or twice. Yeah, it was a funny gig, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, tiny little but, stage. Um, and uh, I tell you what, we played. It was one of our first gigs, actually. I think when Taka, uh, after we sort of you know became feeder and stuff, and Taka joined, going back, God, I mean, I'm going back over 25 years ago. I mean, we played at a place. Do you remember? It was in Covent Garden again, and it was like a kind of hangout. It was a place where you used to basically go to try and pull somebody or whatever. Um, it, or, or go and have a burger. It was called the Roadhouse or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. Do you remember it? Yeah. And they and they said bands on it at stage, and it was so off putting because I, I remember we were playing there. And it was about there was about twenty people in there, if that, and half of them were just in there to have a burger, and they were just sat there eating their burgers. <laughs> and it's and then me and Zachary and John were trying to sort of like rock act, doing this heavy, and it was the most oh god, it was it was the most soul destroying gig. It was just. Actually, I tell you, he used to hang out in there quite a lot. Say, was Lemmy from Motorhead? I used to, I used to see him there sometimes. He's, wow. I, I used to go down. He's probably on the pool. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let, let's talk about um, you know when we, we spoke about that sort of first gig where you think, all right, okay, this is this is feeling good now. This is feeling how it should feel. Um, tell me about your first. Did you was your first tour a support or was your first tour a headline? Well, we did, um, I don't know what our first, I mean, we did loads of gigs in Cornwall. We're sort of kind of where we, I suppose, it was really good for us because we were sort of learning just that whole live experience and sort of, you know, we're getting better as a band, but doing it away from London, which, which was good because there was a bit less pressure. But I remember doing a Kerrang! Twister tour. That was definitely one of the one of the first tours I think we did. And it was with... Um, but it was like a twister. So basically, there was there was three bands on. One was, if I remember the names right, one was a band called Lodestar. I think it used to be called something before. Do you, do you remember Lodestar? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they were a good band. And then there was a band called the Crazy, the Crazy. What was it? The the cra- was it the Crazy Gods of Endless Noise or something? Yep. And they were kind of quite wacky and and feeder. And we used to sort of so they so one night you know the crazy gods would headline and it would flip and so 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 we'd all end up headlining one night and then one would be on first and one would be in the middle slot. And it, it was uh, you know that was one I remember that was that was definitely one of our earliest tours. And uh, we did we did a lot in that area. And then we went back and did some touring with a band called A, which I know you know, yep. had some stuff with of Jason's. So, um, yeah, it was a really good time, and but I think the, the that first must have been of, fun because they're, they're they're always oh, they're, yeah. they're good boys, aren't they? Yeah, oh yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, worked really well because you know we were different, but we kind of worked. It was just a really exciting time then. It was that sort of nineties period, um, 
But I remember our first, I suppose, decent size tour. I think it was after that with with uh, Terravision and um, Terravision. They were still going, but um, and, that, and that was quite an important tour for us because I remember we, you know, won over a lot of their fans, and uh, it was a really beneficial tour to us because you know we were playing to so many more people than we'd ever played to before. And we just thought sort of, you know, little three-piece band, people were thinking, well, who's this? And we, just, and we went down like really well actually every night. And uh, that was quite a good sort of building block for us as a band. But but like you, I think Terravision at the time, it, 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 there's certain bands that sort of, that, that, that transcend, you know, the enemy, the melody maker, and Kerrang. Do you know what I mm. mean? And, and I think that's a really sweet spot to be in. And I think like... Uh, and I definitely think sort of Terrorvision done that. And, and at the time, I mean, when, when, when was this? Was because did, did that did the, the album with like Perseverance? Did that go number one? I mean, they were quite big. I mean, they had that, and they had you know Alice Watson Matter and all that stuff. I mean, they they were. I mean, we were a lot heavier than them. Mm. I think we were a little bit like whoa, you know. Um, I think the audience were a bit kind of whoa, who's this band? Yeah. Um, but it, it just really worked in our favour. I mean, Terrorvision obviously were great. They did their show. But, but we were quite different to them, and it just worked. It was a really good lineup, and uh, but yeah, I mean they were a big band then. Yeah, oh, they were doing well, and um, you know, you know, for us it was just um, like a really great tour. You know, you know, sort of jump on. I mean, that's why that's what that's what you do as a as a you know support band. You hope you hope to sort of to nick a few fans from the main band, and that's what always happens. You know, if it goes down well. Um, it's tough being a support band, but when it connects, it can be really good. And we had a couple of like absolutely blinding tours. You know, we did Terrorvision, then we did Reef, and kind of kind of went from there really. And uh, we picked up a lot. You know, that that really helped to grow our fan base. Did the the reality of of, <coughs> of touring sort of meet your maybe your sort of teenage expectations of what being in a touring band were? Yeah, that's quite typical. I mean, I've always been a bit of a studio. But I mean, I, I mean, I love like the whole kind of you know writing, you know, recording, like production side. I mean, I just love that space, that creativity of being, you know, being in the studio. But I do obviously, and that might sound odd, but because I do obviously, you know, still love playing live as well. But I didn't really have any. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, it was certainly a lot of fun, and uh, you know, the things that you know, as you get more successful, you probably get more fussy and ask for. Expect more things, but you just don't really expect anything. But you just have to, you just deal with it, and it's all about you know using the gear you've got and just hoping everything works, and you know dealing with a dodgy sound most nights. But it's it's all it's all it's all part of your musical apprenticeship, really, as a band, and that and that's something which sort of sets you up really for later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a fun time. You know, we definitely had some fun moments. You know, there was some. Yeah, I mean, being on the road is great. I think if you've got a nice, if you've got a good band and, and you get on well, it's fantastic. If you don't get on, it's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's pretty well documented with plenty of bands over the years, and it, you know, se- separate vans yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. Um, I've seen it, honestly, I've seen it, and I've been on tour with bands. We just know it's just not a happy place, and it's just not, it's just, yeah, it just kind of, it just kills the vibe. I think the audience can feel it sometimes, you know. You know, when you see the band on stage, you can see they don't really want to be up there with each other. <laughs> I remember reading an interview once with, like, uh, Roger Daltrey, and he was sort of saying, like, you know, just asking him about hanging out with Pete Townsend, and he was like, no, we don't hang out. Like, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're just in a band. Like, we're not friends. It's, it felt just like, no, we just do this. But then I suppose you think, well, I suppose if you've been in a band with these people for... 50 years or however long it's been yeah you're probably not spending every day in each other's pockets are you no i mean not at all i mean the thing is you know you know we all have our separate lives and i think even more so now and in, you know and it's and it's a good thing because when we come together it's like a real thing and it's and it's nice so otherwise you just get each other's nerves you know it's the same as anything you know it's like a family you know there's going to be ups and downs and arguments but you know there's still a bit of that anyway yeah. but I think having a bit of a sort of life outside, it's, you know, it's not a bad thing. And it's, it's a whole different world now. You know, you, people can live all over the place and be in a band, whereas before it was a bit more difficult before the internet and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, they always say, you know, a band who drinks together is a band that stays together. And, it's, and it is partly true, you know. I'm not, I'm not encouraging drinking, but it's, it's I mean, there, 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 there is a lot of truth in that, yeah. you know. Um. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Of all of the, the, you know, of all of the bands that you've toured with, what, what what was the one that was probably the most fun? Who did you like going on the road with the most? Ooh, oh, that's really hard because you know we hadn't you know we hadn't done that many sports sort of recently. But I mean, obviously, all bands you that know, you took on tour. Yeah, I mean, I did have a lot of fun on the Everclear tour in America. The band called Everclear, and they yeah. they were really you know big then. And we did a basically, I got friendly with our my friend Brian, who I mentioned earlier on. Um, you know, the guy who got me to American bands. He he uh, he was doing some recording with them and hooked me up with art, and we we got on quite well. And uh, he he liked feeder, and I think we were just starting to do quite well then. So I think we were a little bit bigger than Everclear over here, but they were you know, they were doing you know they were doing like big big gigs in the states, and we had some agreement that you know he let us come and open for them in America if they could come over here and do a few shows with us. I said yeah great, yeah great. So we signed it to Electra Records and we went there and did that tour. It was just, I think it was just the whole experience of being in America. It was that whole, you know, you want to back the whole touring experience. But to me, that was like the rock and roll dream. You know, it was chaos. It was hard work. It was tiring, but it was amazing. And some of the places that we went, you know, we did 42 states yeah. in about, in a, in a 12 months period. I mean, it was intense. Yeah. Um, but God, it was fun. <laughs> so I mean, that was that, that was definitely one that I still, I still sort of think, God, yeah, that was such a great tour. And and just you know, I suppose if I had to answer it, you know, I suppose also just playing with some of the big bands that you sort of, that you think, oh my God, you know, I'm on the same stage as you know, we played with you too, and you know, the, we toured with REM a few times. That was great. We played with the Rolling Stones. You know, we've done some amazing uh, gigs and. You know, we went to all the Coldplay when they were huge, you know, and it was, you know, that is a great experience. But just for pure rock and roll fun and debauchery, I would say the Everclear tour. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> just, just to ask you quickly, like, um, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, playing gigs with, 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 with people like, you know, you 2 and R.E.M., who are arguably... Yeah. The two, you know, certainly, uh, you know, at the point I imagine you were touring, the two biggest bands in the world. Um, uh, certainly, you know, the biggest selling at that point. Like, um, mm. did you ever like? Do you ever get that kind of imposter syndrome? Like, like you know, being there in a room, and I say this with the greatest respect, of course, and I ask most of my guests this: like, if you walk in a room and there's Bono or there's Michael Stipe or Peter Buck, like, or The Edge, do you mm. ever just think? have I got here? This is crackers. Like, do you ever have them moments where you breathe it in and just think, I'm in a bloody room with you too. This is, I'm, I'm, like, I'm gigging with them. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, it is, it is a bit surreal, but I mean, at the end of the day, they're normal people, but they are, I mean, a lot of those people you just mentioned me, I'm those sort of legends. And I remember, 
when we, when we did the Rolling Stones, I mean, we, we did actually quite a few shows with them and they're, they're tough gigs because the Rolling Stones fans, they're not really that interested in support fans, doesn't matter who you yeah. are. And, I, and, I've, and I've read some interviews that even with, with uh, I think it was with Dave Grohl years ago, and I think they did some of the similar, you know, they, you know there was a time where we were sort of similar levels in the booze and obviously now they, they've just gone to that, yeah. you know, one of the biggest bands in the world. But, you know, around that sort of, comfort in time and time and just for that you know yeah. we were you know we, we were sort of similar levels but anyway I remember Dave Grohl saying that when they opened for the stone it was a really tough gig as well so I was thinking okay it wasn't just us but but to answer your question I mean I, mean, I remember being backstage with uh, Tacker and stuff and just sort of sitting next to Charlie Watts you know bless him you know we're sitting around but and he was such a nice guy just there playing pool and it was just the most surreal it was like Charlie Watts and Rolling Stones and then they and I remember uh we didn't, they didn't really hang out all together much. They just sort of, you just see one here and there. But, but then you have your moment where they come down to the dressing room and you're told the time and the Rolling Stones all come down and they, and, they, and, they, and they do your picture and they're there and then they're gone. It's the most surreal thing because you think like, did that happen? <laughs> it's like that's, you're there with your arm around crackers, like Keith Richards. Mate. It was crackers. I've still got the photograph actually, but it was almost like, it was so organised and so quick because you know they obviously do it all the time. Sure, it, it was it was the most like surreal moment. So yeah, to answer your question, it is an odd one. I mean, I remember also uh, we were playing with you two. It was somewhere in Europe. I can't remember where it was. Oh God, was it Germany or anyway? And it was the worst weather. Um, they had a really good. Uh, it was on the Vertigo tour, and they had. Um, a feeder it was us uh, Ash I think the Snow Patrol were doing some of the shows um, there, was, uh, there, was, there was there was about three or four other bands as well and they were kind of alternating them and I remember it was like there's no way that we can play in this it was literally pouring down and it's just but they said oh no you guys still got a place we're like okay so we put all this plastic sheeting all over our pedals and all that anyway as we came off stage, we were sat in our dressing room completely drenched through. And I remember like Bono coming in with his entourage and just sort of like sat there for a minute and just had a conversation with him. And that, that to me was quite bizarre because I, you know, I sort of grown up, you know, with you two yeah. um, since their early stuff. And just to have the guy there sort of sat next to me, that, that, that was quite a, a sort of, that was quite a, uh, that, that, that was quite a moment. And, and I remember the conversation that we had, if you've got time for it, he, he was on about, he said, oh, well done, guys, you have to get out there and doing that. And I just said, yeah, I was trying not to uh, fall over because he was so like slippery. And he told me that he, he used to put, or he puts like grip tape. You know grip tape, they have on skateboards? Yeah. He told me a trick to do was he used to put grip tape on the bottom of his shoes. <laughs> and that's what he told me. Bono from U2, the most bizarre story, but uh, Practical, it makes sense as well, doesn't it? I, it's just an old conversation. It's not the sort of thing you imagine to be talking to, like Bono from you two about. But yeah, he was very nice and yeah, you know, like very down to earth. Amazing grip tips with Bono. Uh, <laughs> yeah, grip tape. You know the grip, you know the black stuff. It's like sandpaper, it's sort of sticky. You put on the you know on, on top of the board. <laughs> so I mean, uh, yeah. While we're talking about sort of big big gigs and stuff, what's your favourite festival to play, Grant? I love Fuji Rock in Japan. It's just a really vibey festival. It's just got that kind of something old school about it. It's got a bit of a hippie vibe. It's just really well organised. It's spotlessly clean. Everyone picks up a litter. You know, very, very Japanese. You know, they have a lot of respect for that. Everything's like recycled. Great PA system. It's loud. There's none of that kind of noise limit stuff where it sounds so you know, weak and quiet. It, it rocks. Yeah. There's uh, lots of, you know, interesting stages hidden away in the kind of forest and stuff. It's just a beautiful festival, and I absolutely love that one. That's definitely that's definitely up there for me. As you know, I, w- I would say that is my favourite festival without a doubt. We've done it probably about six or seven times now. Okay, well, staying, so, staying on yeah. festivals, Grant, <clears throat> you get to curate yeah. your own. Um, your dream festival: Ooh. five acts, alive or dead. Okay, well, there's lot. There's so many new bands I can mention. Lots of people, but I remember just go with sort of stuff that I think would just be great and like classic. Okay, Beatles, an obvious one. A headlining? Uh, hey, Who's on. headlining? I, I want it in order. Oh God! Oh no! Go under the order. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Okay. Well, hmm. Uh, okay, let's say the Beatles headlining. Okay. I think they've earned that. Um, I then I've got before the Beatles. I've I've, I've got um, Led Zeppelin. Right. 
the four lead Zeppelin, just to break up a little bit to make something a bit different. I've got, um, I go with um, uh, Fleetwood Mac. Nice. But uh, before Fleetwood, oh god, this is a tough one now. I've got the order wrong. But see, I've got Pink Floyd, but they're probably a I see them all the headline at. But okay, uh, so Pink Floyd. Um, then I've got Tom Petty because nice. I'm a massive Tom Petty fan. And I, I, I've got Black Sabbath just to really open it up with a bit of rock. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And, it, and, it, and, this, isn't, and this isn't down to whether I think they're, they're big or smaller bands. I, I'm just trying to make it an interesting order for the audience. But Definitely. The, 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 those are all just bands that have been massively you know, inspirational to me um, over the years. I mean, there's so many great bands. You know, I'd love to mention PJ Harvey and Radiohead, all these other bands. But for me, those, that would just be a hell of a lineup. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm aware that I've had plenty of time already, Grant. So just before That's all right. we uh, yeah. we wrap things up, tell me what's happening. What's going on? Feeder news. Well, uh, feeder move. Well, touch the word. We can carry on playing with all this new thing going on. But um, we've got we've got a new album. Out. It's called Torpedo. It comes out on the 18th of March. Um, so it's our album number 11, I think. God, that seems like a lot, doesn't it? Um, and then we've got the tour. Um, we, we, we've got a UK tour in April that starts on the 23rd of April. Uh, and our London show is going to be Brixham Academy. Uh, oh, all, all the dates are up. Yeah, all the dates are up on Feeder Web or up on Instagram. You, you can pre order the album. Uh, we've got a new single coming out in the new year as well. And um, yeah, and that's all good. I mean, I don't know if you've heard any of the new stuff, but it's, uh, it's, definitely, um, it's definitely a rock album. Nice. <laughs> It's a, there's some big riffs on there. So it's sort of a little bit of a sort of move back to, a, I, I suppose, our sort of earlier sound in some way. I think, I think I'll tell you what happened, right? During the whole, just for the sort of pre-COVID time, which is probably when I talked to you, actually. Yeah. I think I even mentioned that I'd been writing. So I wrote a bunch of songs. We did some recording. Then we got about eight or nine sort of finished, obviously not mixed, but basically all the recording done. Then, then the whole lockdown thing happened. Didn't feel overly inspired for a few months. Picked up my guitar, wrote loads of songs, and basically this album is the result of that. Um, so we decided, we thought, well, well, we've got a lot of songs. Should we do a double album, which I was really into, but then we changed our minds. <laughs> so it's going to be two albums. So there's sort of pre, the pre-lockdown songs, plus some other ones that I've added to those, is going to be the album after this. So it's almost like a double album in two halves. Does that make sense? Totally. It's very hard to explain, but they're very much connected. I mean, musically a little bit different. Um, it's but we're using the same artist, so so the artwork will like follow a theme. So there'll be quite a collectible thing, I think, for any sort of diehard fans. You know, been having the two of them, you know. And in regards to sort of like track listing and and, and you know splitting yeah. it up into two albums and things like that, you know, we we live in a world where. Uh, a lot of people now sort of cherry pick tracks what they buy from iTunes and Spotify and things like mm. that. And I mean, is it still really important to you that that you know you you sit down and you you look at the track listing and you still want that record to come across as a as a you know as a piece of art you know as a body of work? Oh my god, even more so than ever. I mean, this album has gone. I mean, every feeder album goes through uh, a real process of that. I am literally, uh, I drive myself and everyone else around me insane. Because I'm, I'm, I'm just into that whole journey. Thing. I know, I know, I know. To most people, it's not important. But please, if anyone buys this album, you listen to it from start to finish. Because I, I've sequenced it in a way that it works for vinyl as well. So it's got this sort of side A, side B. Yeah. There's basically ten tracks on the vinyl because you didn't want to put any more on because it starts to you start to lose a little bit of quality if you put too many songs on a record. So. So, so, so the vinyl is ten, and there's a bonus track on the CD. So that's good. There, there's, there's an extra track called "Desperate Hour," like an acoustic song at the end. But basically, oh god, I spend weeks and weeks getting the sequence right, getting the, that whole journey right. Some of the songs are connected lyrically, not just on this album, but sort of flowing to the next album. Um, I do that quite a lot, actually. It's something which I really like to do. I sort of, I might write a song on one album, but I'll continue that that sort of like story like the kind of next chapter, maybe on yeah. another record or maybe another two records. I mean, I find that actually quite fun. I think the Beatles used to do that apparently, but it's something which is quite good because it's just sort of, seems like a continuation of that story. Um, and I like that. I mean, I like that in songwriting. It's quite a nice thing to do. But yeah, so um, 
Yes, I spent a lot of time on that, and we spent a lot of time not just on the sequencing, but on the artwork and you know picking the right artwork and artists to work with. Uh, it's yeah, it, to me that's all part of the process now, and that's all part of making a record. It's you know obviously the music is the most important thing, but it's that whole package for me. It's yeah. such an important thing, you know. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of that as well. I, I think it's I think it's really important in a world where. So many things are very quick mm. and, you know, and, and everybody, you know, seems to want things super fast. I think it's more important now to, to have something tangible, to be able to sit down and, and kind of escape for, for 40 minutes or however long it is. Do you know what I mean? I think the, these things, are, you know, yeah. enjoy a bit of art and enjoy the journey of it. I think it's uh, It it's is. Important. It is. I mean, we work with artists a lot because, you know, to me, I like to work with, like, creative people. And to me, it gives the album, like, an identity and a feeling. And it gives, you know, it's just all, like, creative and it's just a great thing, you know, and you just find a certain piece of work or an artist or whatever it is that just feels, you know, like the right one. And we've worked with a lot of artists over the years, actually. Um, you know, probably more than most bands, I would say. Cause, I mean, you know, we haven't, we, we've kind of avoided, I mean, there's, there's been a couple, but in general, we've never really just gone for the, oh, that's a nice picture, let's put that on the front cover. <laughs> Which is all, you know, often what happens here, you know, with the you know, rental companies, just the way they work. But we've had a lot of freedom and uh, we, 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 we've been lucky enough to work with some really, really talented people. But yeah. I think you know I want you know I want to look back on these records you know when I'm old and past it and just have this like collection of work and just seeing them there and just that moment in time it just brings back sort of nice memories you know for ourselves and hopefully when it's you know this brought our music over the years you know lovely what a beautiful place to uh, to, to to finish up oh, the podcast beautiful beautiful <laughs> <laughs> Grant it's been an absolute pleasure getting to catch up with you again mate thank you so much for your time if people want to keep uh, keep up to speed with the the release dates and on where they can buy it and gigs where's the best place well you know Instagram you know feed of Facebook you know you, you go to the website I mean you know it's more about sort of Facebook now and Instagram right so Instagram in particular so yeah, just just go on there. All the dates are on there. There's 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 a link there to you know to the shop as well if you want to get anything like that. And yeah, um, come, come and see us. I mean, what what I would say is it's going to be it's going to be a pretty rocking set. We're gonna we're gonna be playing obviously a lot of new record. It's you know there's no point in going out and doing a new album tour and just playing a load of best of all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, of course we'll do a couple of favourites at the end or whatever. But we, I, I really want to go back and revisit some of those classic earlier theater songs that feel like they really fit what we're doing with this record. Yeah. Going back and doing some stuff from Polythene and Swim. And I think it'll be really good fun oh, for us and also. But yeah, and also for some of the old school fans who have uh, been asking all these years, oh, you never played so and so so many more. Well, we might do it on this tour to come and see us. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Grant, thank you so much, mate. It's been an absolute Thanks, pleasure. Thanks, Stuart. Cheers, mate. Right, thank you. There you go. Oh, lovely gentleman lovely lovely gentleman um yeah it was absolutely wonderful to get to chat to grant again um we had a lovely little natter afterwards and uh, that's always a good sign of a good pod when uh, when the guest hangs around and you have a little chat about you know what you're up to for the rest of the day and we, we spoke a little bit about the brixton show he's going to go along and and check them out um yeah absolute gentleman uh hope you enjoyed that episode um as mentioned at the beginning go check out if you haven't already when grant first came on the podcast and spoke about all the records that have been very very important uh, along his creative journey this far um i'm back next time um take care you lovely people everything you need to know about this podcast you can either find out about on the social medias um or you can find out about all the social medias, all the Patreon stuff, all the episodes at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Take care, lovely people. See you soon. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Eat it,